Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Reset Salon podcast. This is Ed McGuire, and we have with us Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi. And today, uh, our guest is uh, Dr. Eva Ritvo, who is an author and psychiatrist. Uh, she's the author of Be Kinder, and she's also been a guest at a couple of our salons, uh, very uh, very highly valued and, and much beloved in our community. So we're, we're thrill, thrilled to have her with us. Um, and to, tonight we're going to be talking about wellness. And this is a topic that is germane to just about everybody. Obviously, as we're living through a pandemic, uh, we have to deal with uh, physical health, um, but also uh, mental health and, and, and social health and, and the health of, of all of us around us. And this is uh, what the, an opportunity for uh, for us to to hear from Eva and learn a, learn a few things about things that we might be thinking about and how how we can improve our wellness and the wellness around us and and uh, and and just feel good because I think that's that's the objective of these these salons. So what we're going to do is we're first going to we're going to turn it over to Julie. Uh, who will then turn it to Brian, and then we'll uh, then we'll kind of get into things. So with that, let me uh, uh, let me hand it hand the mic over to you, Julie. We're in a moment of great uncertainty. These are perhaps the most uncertain times of our lives. Many people are looking around and seeing things that they once had control over, things like their schedules, their jobs, their home, their families, even their perception of reality within their day-to-day -day lives. Now, for many, that sense of control has suddenly been stripped away, replaced by these uncertain times of COVID-19. To add to that, in the cities, many urban dwellers also faced a summer of civil unrest, which left cities destroyed and jobs and businesses reeling. As businesses from the local pizza joint to Macy's closed across the country, it created a domino effect of business closures across the country, the dominoes falling faster and faster as the ecosystem of business collapsed. We heard last time from Awana, who talked about her own personal anguish as the New York City she knew and loved seemed to revert back to the dangerous 1970s. We all heard the pain in her voice as she talked about her journey through tears of rage and grief. While many talked about the broken glass of businesses looted, others talked about our broken bodies or broken hearts as loved ones contracted COVID. The outcome of all this, the enormity of loss, strained our ability to cope with so many losses at the same time. It's hard to even grasp or think of the enormity of what we've been going through on a global scale as we face for the first time in many of our lives the unknown trajectory of pandemic. Today we're focusing on seeking wellness and in particular the oft unacknowledged mental health aspects of that. Some of you know, but many probably don't, in addition to my master's and PhD in sociology, I also have a master's and PhD in marriage and family therapy, 
and I was a licensed counselor in the state of California. I have thousands of hours of counseling experience in every setting you can imagine. I've worked at university clinics at two different schools. I had a private practice in Newport Beach, California. I used to drive on nights and weekends to homes in Florida of families who were court-ordered to have their kids seen by a counselor for various reasons. I later spent two and a half years behind the locked doors of a psych ward in a hospital. I like to tell my students, you may think I lived there, but I didn't. <laughs> in that setting, I saw every type of mental health issue that there is. Though COVID presents us with perhaps unique physical health challenges, perhaps most unheralded or unacknowledged are the side effects of dealing with COVID-19. A couple of examples. Mental health hotline calls are up 8,000% in the Los Angeles area. One study found that the isolation of sheltering in place may be driving mental health struggles, as 47% of those sheltering in place reported mental health issues compared to 37% of those not sheltering in place. Still, when you think about it, when almost half of those sheltering in place and about 40% of those not sheltering are experiencing mental health issues, these are huge numbers, and I think it's high time we talk about this. I like to think about health and wellness in a holistic manner. That is, that mind, body, and environment are all connected. Part of my job when I worked in that mental hospital I told you about was to do what's called psychosocial assessments. And what we do is we assess people's state of mind as well as their support systems and coping abilities and what resources they could draw upon. You could think about these being various wellness enhancing behaviors like eating healthy foods, getting enough sleep, having a solid support system of friends and family, exercising, and maybe spending time in nature. But other things are also important like having a stable base of financial support and a home sort of the base of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mental health issues were already bubbling up amongst our youth before COVID struck. I wrote my book, Left to Their Own Devices, in response to some of the mental health issues I was seeing at my university. And the universities across the country, in fact, are reporting the highest rates of depression and anxiety amongst college students that we've seen in 30 years. COVID-19 has exacerbated these struggles amongst an already fragile youth. Separated from friends and family and normal routines has left many anxious, isolated, and lonely. Before COVID, many young folks had leaned on a merry-go-round of short-term dating for companionship, as opposed to committing to deeper, long-term, committed relationships. After COVID struck, much of that went out the window, leaving young people without both the companionship they'd grown accustomed to at the touch of a button on dating apps, 
but also without the support, friendship, and camaraderie of the work fam, uh, the families of choice, if you will, at work, and other support systems face-to-face, leaving many isolated in apartments, in cities, and without jobs. You could see how, for some, this could be a recipe for disaster. The thing is, stressors can pile up, and that's what we're seeing. Many counselors use questionnaires. They like to call them inventories, like the Holmes Ray Life Stress Inventory, to assess their patients. The top stressors, amongst the top 10, let's say, include things like death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, major personal illness or injury, changes in the health of a family member, being fired at work. Given these challenging times, it's not hard to imagine people going through multiple of these stressors simultaneously. The thing about coping is we all have different levels of coping ability based on our backgrounds, our prior experiences, our connection to other support systems, be they friends, family, church or community, etc. So maybe we can cope with one stressor. We have the resources to draw upon for coping. If we get hit by a storm in life, maybe we lose our job or we go through a breakup or something. The storm may rock our boat for a while, but soon the sun comes out, our friends or family and others are there for us and it's smooth sailing again. Yet when you get hit by stressor after stressor, one after another, you lose your job, you lose your home, you and your partner are having marital or relationship issues. Perhaps you're facing a growing mountain of debt or one of your loved ones passes away or maybe it's all these things at once. Suddenly the mountain of stressors has grown so high that it starts to seem insurmountable. And it's at that point that those with less coping ability are going to run out of steam and head into crisis mode. I was thinking the other day, I don't think I've said I'm sorry regarding the death of a loved one as many times as I've said it lately and in the past year. Seems like almost every single day I'm saying I'm sorry to someone that I know or love who's lost a relative to COVID. So many of us are going through these top 10 stressors at the moment. And here's the thing that I think is unique. In a sense, we're in a unique moment that goes beyond ourselves. Let me tell you what I mean. Imagine I was going through a divorce or a loss of my job or something like that. It would be me going through this individually in a very personal way. My friend would be chugging along. Maybe it's Brian or Ed here in their lives as normal. And they'd be available to support me through this temporary personal crisis. But now the game has changed. In this very strange situation we find ourselves in, we're all going through some kind of a loss, be it as simple as not being able to go into the office and see our colleagues or go to conferences or travel like we used to, all the way to the loss of our neighborhoods as we knew them, 
the connections to our family and friends, through to the loss of a loved one through death. The point is, it's harder for us sometimes, I think, to bring to bear the resources to support others as they're going through their crises because we're going through one ourselves. So our collective coping resources are lowered at this time for everybody to draw from. So we may see our individual coping abilities begin to fray at the edges for that reason. For our young people, this is a particular problem. They've unhooked from the traditional support systems that kept their parents and grandparents afloat. Things like marriage or going to church, being part of a family, or even a long-term job with colleagues, all the way to owning homes and neighborhoods where they're woven into the social fabric. These kinds of institutions, we know as sociologists from long-term studies, that they keep people firmly anchored, bolstering both physical and mental health, sometimes in surprising ways. As our young people are struggling before COVID, adding the layers of complexity here may make coping particularly difficult for them at this time. One last thing I'll say is this. I remember working in that mental hospital, going room to room, conducting those psych social assessments I told you about to see how people were doing. And this was the locked psych ward, mind you. So we only had very severe cases, ranging from schizophrenia to suicide attempts. One thing I'll never forget amongst the latter patients, almost to a one, it struck me because it was so marked. Each and every one of them had in common the fact that they'd lost hope somewhere along the way. So today, in our Reset Salon podcast, I'm so thankful that we have the wonderful Dr. Eva Ritva with us to help us find our way through these complex times. I would urge that all of us do our own personal inventories of what our coping skills are at this time. What do you have control over? What resources do you have around yourself to help shore you up, to get you through these challenging times? How can you take better care of yourself so that you're physically and mentally able to weather the storms that we're facing now and going forward? And lastly, where can you find hope on the horizon, which is the key to pulling us forward into the future in a time of great uncertainty? And lastly, I would add, it's normal to feel stressed and anxious when facing the multiple kinds of stressors we're all facing, especially when they pile up one atop the other. I think this kind of level of community anxiety we're going through adds to our own individual levels of stress in life. The good news is though, there's things we can do to get control, to bolster our physical and mental health, 
to feel better, to take care of ourselves on an everyday basis so that we're stronger to face the challenges that lie in our path. And we can talk about what those things are, and we will today. So with that, I will say I'm very glad we're having this important conversation today. I think it's important to name things. I think it's important to, to speak about things. And that's what we're doing today with the hope that we can foment hope. We usually think of that word foment in terms of fomenting a riot or something. But doctors used to use the word foment as in foment an illness. And what it meant is to apply heat. So let's bring some heat and light to this issue, like a warm fire of comfort to help people, to help you find your way through to the other side of these challenging times. I'm looking forward to this discussion. And with that, I'm throwing it over to Brian. Julie, thanks so much. I'm reminded that it's, you know, before it was true before, but it's even more true now that we are not alone. That a lot of times it feels like whatever that we're going through is something that we ourselves are going through and no one else can relate with us. But the fact is, is that the power of technology has allowed us to see that the circumstances that we have, the, the boss that we had that's given us a bad time. You know what? The person that worked here before us had the same experience. And knowing that helps us realize that this is not about us. This is not something that is being done to us. And by, by having that understanding, we gain some measure of agency over our own lives. Because right now we are in a situation where ills are compounding on top of other ills. We have COVID, but on top of that, we have this public policy response to COVID. And honestly, if you're a small business person, it really feels personal. It feels petty. It feels like something is being done to you as, be, as opposed to being done for you. And I think this is one of the big challenges that lawmakers have, because I've met a lot of lawmakers. I've had conversations with them, and this is not their intention, but this is the way their policy comes across if they don't explain themselves, if they do not practice empathy, if they do not take these steps to, to reach out to others. And so I'm really looking forward to what Eva has to say because I feel like every day is a chance to get it right. So given that, I'm gonna hand it right on over. Take it away. Well, thank you very much. And I wanna say it's such a pleasure to be here with this wonderful group of people. This community has certainly helped me get through COVID and it's been such a bright spot. And I think Brian, it's an excellent example of technology that we're all in different parts, but yet here we are together over and over at different parts in this pandemic. Um, I'm based in Florida. Um, you guys, Julie, you're based in Los Angeles. So we are still unfortunately, you know, in the peak of, of this epidemic. Um, and uh, it's a time, you know, where people do have to still be very cautious, still be at home. And as you said, Brian, businesses are still suffering. Um, but I think what's very different right now is I think that we can start to see a path forward.
I think in 2020, we were filled with uncertainty and a tremendous amount of fear, tremendous amount of grief and loss. We all waited, you know, for things to, to crystallize and come clear. And I think getting to this point with the vaccine, we have more hope now than we had throughout the last year. And so I think we need to really focus on the fact that scientists have worked remarkably fast and they've developed multiple vaccines, two are already here. And the number of people getting vaccinated, although it's not what we want it to be yet, it's millions of people. It's over 4 million people in the United States who've been vaccinated. And it's our healthcare workers, which we can all appreciate. And it's our elderly that are most vulnerable. And so I, I think, Julie, we do have hope and we can start to see light and we can see a path forward. So as we protect our healthcare providers, that's gonna go a long way to making sure that we all get better healthcare should we need it. Um, the, the fear and uncertainty that doctors and nurses and therapists have been living under is, is just monumental. And it's such a relief to see healthcare providers getting vaccinated. Uh, today, I had the privilege of taking my aunt, who's 86, and we went to our local hospital, Mount Sinai Hospital. She had an appointment for 4.30. We got there 15 minutes early. They took her immediately. They vaccinated her. She waited 15 minutes, and we, we were gone. In, in really, you know, a half an hour. Um, and that is extraordinary because I've been riding through this pandemic with her um, and she's been very brave, but obviously, you know, when you're close to someone of that age, it's very frightening. Uh, my mother's 91, she's in California. She has not been vaccinated yet, but the, 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 the enormous relief when people get vaccinated is so tremendous. And I don't think we should lose sight of that. I've had multiple physician friends tell me they've literally been in tears as they've received their vaccine. Um, yes, we are hearing reports of, of, of incidences, uh, problems occurring, but these are very tiny numbers compared to the numbers of people that have been suffering and dying from COVID. So we have a plan to move out of this pandemic. Obviously hearing about new variants is very frightening, um, but, I think at this point, scientists have agreed that there's no reason to think the current vaccines won't be effective. So I think we should have a collective sense of hope. Um, I also think the political situation offers us hope. We had a tremendous amount of anxiety leading up to that election. Uh, again, this week with tremendous anxiety, uncertainty, chaos. I think as we move forward, uh, we get past you know, the inauguration. I hope that we will see a stability that we haven't seen and that we will have a little more predictability in our political system, a little more organization. And that will go a long way to decreasing our uncertainty and our fear. And when our uncertainty and fear go down, what naturally comes up is hope. And so I do personally feel very optimistic going into 21. Um, as the, the landscape seems to be dramatically improving. Um, so that having been said, we're still, you know, deep in it at this moment. And so I think it's a time really to acknowledge that we've all come off of a very difficult year. I think almost every person would say it was their most difficult year, at least collectively, it was our most difficult year. Um, and we want to try to move forward. Um, Julie, you're probably familiar with the research around post-traumatic growth. 
back in the 1990s, psychologists started studying what happens to people after trauma. And we're all quite familiar with the concept of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is when our veterans went to war, saw horrific things and came back to the United States with very damaged nervous system and had a very difficult time recovering. But as we've learned more about post-traumatic stress disorder, we've actually found out that there's the flip side of that coin, which is post-traumatic growth. And what that means is when somebody gets into a trauma, they have an option to grow as they emerge from it. And a full one third to one half of individuals who've been traumatized will actually grow from the experience. And I think that offers us a enormous amount of hope because right now we have 7.7 billion people who've been traumatized. And if we have even a small number of those who go into a growth mode afterwards, you can see a potential for our world moving in a very positive direction. And some of the, the words you mentioned, Brian, empathy, compassion. This is not something that happened to your neighbor. This is something that happened to you, to your family, to everybody you know. So that is a wonderful way to become empathic. It's also been a way to get perspective. And I think one of the blessings that's coming out of COVID is we have disconnected from so much that probably didn't matter. Remember in March when the treadmill was going full speed and then all of a sudden the middle of March, it stopped and we all fell off. Well, we've had about a year, right? Because we're not out of it yet. It'll probably be about a year as we start to reemerge. And what's happened during that year is everybody has reprioritized. For me, an aha moment was when a very dear family member of mine who suffered greatly from COVID at the beginning sent me a text and the text had her list of complaints, ba 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 like we've all got. The end of the text was, but I didn't have COVID today, so I guess it was a good day. And after reading that text in around June or July, that's when I said, you know what? I think I'm gonna change my frame of reference. And if I didn't have COVID today and my health is intact, it was a good day. And no longer do I need to go out to parties, no longer do I need to go shopping, no longer need to worry what my hair looks like. But if I didn't have COVID today, it was a good day. So I think that collectively there's an opportunity to grow and to see what did we value in this year? Again, think back to early March. Remember all those people that you were trying to find out, are they okay? Are they okay? Do you remember that moment in early March when you were just texting everybody you ever met? Okay, not everybody has made it through. That is certainly the case. But the majority of us have made it through and we're here. And I think we've really learned this year to value those we're closest to. And we've, we've weeded out many of our relationships because we're not in the street saying hello to everybody and going to every event, but we know who our bubble is. And I think knowing who your bubble is helps because that's who you can get support from, that's who you want to support. I was so happy taking my aunt to get that COVID vaccine today, despite all those circles I had to drive in. It was a thrilling event because she and I have become so much closer through this pandemic because we're both no longer busy with all those other people we were busy with. And I can't cook at all. And she's a fabulous cook. So I'm always at her house. She's always cooking. She's not coronaphobic like I am. I get in there and she says, take that mask off. 
And I'm like, I don't know if I should do this. And she makes me take it off and we made it to vaccine today. So it's been a huge relief. So I think there's a lot that we need to try to focus on now to make sure we come out of this well and stronger and better and more thoughtful with a better perspective. The last thing I want to throw out and then I'll turn it over to the group is this year we focused on our health. And as a society, you know that that's been a great weakness for America with the obesity, the diabetes, the alcoholism, the depression. We were really spiraling in a bad direction, the, the opiate abuse, the overdose. So this year has shown us is that mental health affects everybody. There was nobody who was immune from an anxiety disorder or depression or grief or post-traumatic stress disorder. Mental illness is not something that happens to somebody else, happened to every one of us. So we need to start talking about it and we need to start talking about how to be mentally healthy and well. So that's what I wanted to say and I'll turn it over to you so we can talk about some more details. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to ask, um, going back to the really difficult times um, in, in the peak of the of the pandemic last year, um, you made uh, reference to uncertainty as being, you know, one of the, one of the uh, you know biggest factors increasing stress and uh, and depression. And uh, you know, in your experience and, and looking back and and uh, looking back on uh, over the year, um, but also tying into some of your other experience, you know, what are what were some of the best practices that people can do when they find themselves? you know, in a period of maximum uncertainty. And I, I, I don't want to discount that thing. You know, we certainly uh, appear to have, uh, you know, turned turn the proverbial corner and things are looking up. But, but for people who still, who find themselves in very difficult, very stressful, very uncertain situations, and of likely every one of us will, will probably experience something like that at another time in our life. Um, what, what are some steps or some uh, some some thoughts or some approaches that that we can take that could help ground us and 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 make us more resilient. Well, um, one question is about uncertainty, and our brains hate uncertainty. So I think we need to acknowledge that when there's a lot of uncertainty, we're going to feel anxious. And I think, as Julie said, just being aware of that labeling that, putting into words, sharing it with other people and not trying to run away from that feeling. So the image that comes to my mind is if, if you get COVID or somebody you know gets COVID, you're going to be very anxious. You're going to be very distressed. That is inevitable. And just acknowledging that and letting that be for that moment is what's most important. We can't always remedy things. Um, the flip side of that coin is when things calm down a bit and become more certain, then we wanna be resilient. And we have to be resilient whether we got the outcome we wanted or whether we got the outcome that we didn't want, right? So if there's been a chronic illness, this COVID turns into a long hauling situation, or if we lose somebody, we still need to be resilient. And there's different pillars of resiliency. Um, one of those pillars is physical wellness. And I always talk about the, the base of the health pyramid, whether we're talking mental or physical health, is always sleep. And when we're distressed and there's uncertainty, our sleep is disrupted. So as we move to a period of more certainty, again, even if it's not the certainty we wanted, 
we need to try to focus on our sleep and restoring our sleep. I have a sleep disorder, sleep apnea. So I'm particularly aware and sensitive to these issues. Um, and so if somebody does have a, a particular sleep issue, make sure you try to remedy that. Don't just muddle through because it's hard to make your day go well if you haven't had a good night's sleep. Um, for me, I wasn't aware that I had sleep apnea until a doctor diagnosed it. So, you know, I don't fit the normal profile. Um, but if you are having sleep difficulties, make sure you talk to your doctor because you might have something serious like sleep apnea that needs a very particular treatment. So they've also shown to come out of trauma, the number one predictor for developing post-traumatic stress disorder, which we don't want to develop, is disrupted sleep. So anybody who's in a bad situation, try as quickly as you can to rectify your sleep. Let me tell you one thing that doesn't work. That's alcohol. What alcohol does is it puts you into the early stages of sleep, the light stages of sleep, but it prevents you from going to the deep stages of sleep so you have more awakenings. So oftentimes people mistakenly after trauma say, let me have a drink, it will calm me down, it will help me fall asleep. But what they don't realize is they're doing exactly the wrong thing. So anybody under trauma, anybody with a sleep disorder, stay away from alcohol. It will not help, it will exacerbate the problem. I have a dog that is really, really good at sleeping. And uh, I, 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 he's actually, I try to, uh, <laughs> try to model my, my sleep behavior after him. Although of course I can't necessarily sleep on the floor in the middle of the day, but um, I, it's a, that's a great point. And, um, uh, but actually I wanted to uh, expand on some of your comments, um, you know, for, uh, you know, for those who have kind of gotten themselves on a firm footing in, in an environment of uncertainty. You, I mean, we've all talked about the impact that, you know, that of the, the pandemic and illness, trauma, dislocation, uh, you know, unemployment, um, you know, financial troubles have had on the people around us. And many times the stress, uh, even if we're in a, in a good in a good place, you know, uh, having a loved one that's really suffering or somebody who's close to us, watching them go through very difficult times can also be super challenging. It can, it can, you know, it, it does place stresses, you know, on, on anyone who has, you know, has, has a measure of empathy. Um, you know, what, you know, what can, what can you do? How can you think about uh, how to, how to best address, you know, the, the people who are around you, um, and those of us that that don't that haven't had the benefit of of you know having a having a degree in in um, you know in counseling or or ex a lot of experience you know are there some are there some tips or approaches that we can uh, bring into play so that we don't exhaust ourselves but but do be you know take care of ourselves the most way and, and help people in the in the most sincere way that we can and uh, and not kill ourselves in the process. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, my, my book that came out before the pandemic is called Be Kinder, and it's about kindness. And it's never been a time more important to be kind. Um, but in this pandemic, the first person you have to be kind to is yourself. Uh, Julie was just doing an act of kindness right now, reminding me in the chat about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. So, Ed, I think you brought up something that's really important, which is not everybody suffered this year. 
I spent New Year's Eve in a very small group, just myself and one family that I was invited to. And we went around the table and um, two of the people at the table said they had the best year they probably ever had. Um, so there are always two sides to every coin. So for many people, they've gotten quality time with their family that they were really missing before. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I, I, I know that you have done well through this pandemic and you have inspired me. And I know Julie has been amazingly productive through this pandemic. And I have a friend who's been literally in the hospital or in a rehab this entire year. And yet he's created a new project called Planet Portraits, where he's photographing people over FaceTime. His name is Robert Zuckerman, very famous photographer. So this is a year where some people have really tapped into that resiliency and they really feel good because they're proud of themselves. They're making it through a challenging time. They're spending time with family. Again, a lot of people have gotten away from distractions and that's been a very positive thing. So if you're in a good place, don't be shy about that. Embrace that, that's a wonderful thing. Nobody wants everybody to be suffering. We want people to be strong. And then once you feel good, once that oxygen mask is on yourself and you're doing well, then help the person next to you. And there's so many ways to help right now. Putting together this event has been so helpful. I had a really hard time at the beginning of this pandemic because I lost two family members at the beginning of March, neither to COVID. So my, my mind didn't know what way was up or what way was down. And I remember coming to this group and talking to Julie and you guys were such a support to me. So I think you should be proud of that. It's not something to be ashamed of. And then I think other people can be helped in other ways. You know, whatever your skill is, do that for others. So for example, my aunt, she's cooking for a lot of people. She drops food at her neighbor's house. I try to drive people. I had a friend who gave birth in the beginning of this. I tried to bring food there every week. Um, just doing whatever we can to help one another is so important. And remembering that small things count. So saying, you know, thank you to somebody who did something to you, doing something tiny, even if you think, gee, I can't do a ton of stuff, just clean out your closet and donate a few things. Because this is an important time to really value our humanness. And that connection through kindness is so important. Um, so I hope that that answers your question. No, it does. It's it's wonderful. And I, I just have one more uh, question or, or topic to throw over at you. And um, the there is there are a number of different ways of or philosophies of, in terms of looking at, at looking at the future um, and, you know, and trying to be, you know, be the, you know, live the best life that you can. And uh, in my experience, there's there are kind of two complementary approaches that are, are not mutually exclusive, but aren't, aren't necessarily the same. And one is um, living life in search of meaning. So if you think about you know, the Viktor Frankl, man's search for meaning that, that again, that you can put, put up with any, uh, any difficulties uh, as long as there's meaning. Um, on the other side, there's you know, the positive psychology uh, approach, you know, the Martin Seligman school of, uh, again, it, it, it comes back again, almost like putting your, you know, putting your mask on, on the, uh, you know, on the airplane, you know, put the oxygen mask on so you can help people get yourself into a, uh, into a positive state 
so that you can then be more productive and, and more helpful. And I would, I would love to just get your take on sort of meaning versus happiness, uh, you know, as, as North stars that we can use to, to look forward in, in, a, in a productive way. Well, I think that um, Seligman talks about optimism. I think happiness is a little bit passe as a, as a concept because it was something that was so popular and there were so many books written about happiness. But the problem with happiness is it's fleeting. No one's staying happy for very long. Think of the way we got on the, the, the Zoom call. We were all laughing. We were so happy, but we're not going to stay in that state. So I think if you're pursuing happiness, you're pursuing the wrong North Star. I think if you're pursuing well-being, then I think that's a wonderful guide. And I think well-being and meaning go together quite nicely. So my philosophy is we, as adults, are responsible for taking care of ourselves. So we have to be well. And that is that pyramid. We talked about sleep on the bottom. The next comes nutrition, then exercise. And then as you get up that, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's where we get to purpose and meaning. And I think that that is so vitally important for people to reach their pinnacle, to figure out why are they here? What is really important to them? And how can they leave this world a slightly better place than when they came? And the pandemic has given us a lot of time to reflect on that. The advice that I got from Julie and one of her wonderful colleagues in March when I was suffering was go inside see what's important to you, take good care of yourself. Don't worry about solving all the world's problems right now. It's okay to take care of yourself, sleep properly, eat properly, exercise, do yoga, meditate, reflect, read about spirituality. And in the depths of this, that was so helpful to, to look at all those different books and think about those different philosophies and think bigger than ourselves. You know, this world's been here a long time. It's going to be here a long time without us. So what, what really is our purpose? What really is our meaning? And I actually think that's another one of the gifts of the pandemic is it caused us to stop. And now, you know, that stop button is, is, is coming off, you know, and we're going to have to get out there. And then we're going to have to decide, you know, what did I give up that I want to go back to? What really did have meaning? What really nourished my soul? Or what was I just doing because it was the treadmill that I was on? So I think it's so important to think now to each person, what means the most to you? What do you want to get back out there and do? What legacy do you want to leave? Because we all realize that we could be gone tomorrow. And it's one thing we all know that intellectually, but we've all felt that deep in our core that we're blessed to be here, that we're blessed to be well, and that we want to do what we want to do with that time that creates the most meaning for us. I got a beautiful card from my aunt, another aunt who's a psychiatrist. She took a painting during this. She's never painted before. Um, other people are really, you know, either spending so much time with their grandchildren or have been unable to, and they're just dying to go back. So I think it's, there's never been a better time to reflect on your question, Ed. Um, so the North Star is well-being and meaning purpose. I really love what you said here, Dr. Eva. Uh, it's funny because uh, yesterday a fellow came over and hung a mirror for me. I'm setting up a new sort of coffee station in here thinking make the environment wonderful where you are because we're spending so much time here. And it was sort of part of my thinking about New Year's resolutions. 
And after he hung the mirror, we sat down and, and had a glass of water and, and such. And, and he says, oh, you can look in the mirror and think back maybe 10 years, like I'm hearkening back to the past. And I thought about it and I thought, I don't sit there and look at a mirror and think, gosh, I wish it was 10 years ago. I have so much going on now and looking forward and creating our podcast and a book I'm writing and all these things. And I thought, you know, that's part of the thing. If you're looking back that much, you're almost living in the past in regret. You wish you were living 10 years ago, but I don't wish that. I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm happy in my life and I'm, I'm driving forward. I have so much to look forward to. So I think that's another thing that we need to think about. We need to grieve I believe what was, or maybe what was lost or jobs or all these things, but we also need to, it, it's that old saying of the farmer, you can't till a straight line if you're looking backwards when you're driving forward. So that idea that we do need to grieve, I think in that sadness and accept that and go through that, but we have to look forward and that might mean reorienting toward a new North star as opposed to the path we thought we were on. And I think that's a real key because if you are constantly thinking about what was or what could have been or what isn't, that's where you're gonna just dwell in that sadness as opposed to bouncing back with resilience and reorienting your path towards maybe something new. But that whole conversation yesterday really got me thinking about I have no desire to look in a mirror and wish I was, you know, 10 years younger or 10 years back in the past. I'm living my best life right now. And I can, I plan to continue to do that, but that's a mindset. Don't you think so? Well, you're a wonderful role model for people, Julie. And that's why what you're doing is so important to, to be out there in front of people and letting them know that. So I agree with everything you said. It's really important to acknowledge whatever feelings you're in, but you don't want to get stuck in them. And you want to have optimism and hope for the future. Because as I said, post-traumatic growth is what we're looking for. We're not going backwards. We can't get all that stuff back, but we do have an opportunity to move out of this in a very different way, a way maybe where we care more about our neighbors, we care more about our health, we care less about material things, we care less about competing with other people or getting you know, the next this or that, but we, we really want more certainty, more stability, and a, a, a feeling of safety, predictability, and comfort. And now we really know who we love and who we care about and who we need to continue to nurture. Um, but I do agree with you that it's wonderful to look forward and to think about things that we're going to do. And we missed a lot of events. Um, so some of those we might be able to put back on the calendar. We missed a lot of trips. We might be able to put them back on the calendar. It's exactly what I said to my aunt when I dropped her off today. I said, start thinking about what you want to do after that next shot. And she's, you know, been in this for a while. So it was a little hard for her to dust off and remember, but she's a party girl at 86. She's out at theater and she's jazz and all these things. So, you know, these will come back. And we have to be hopeful for that. And at the same time, we have to acknowledge all these new things that we've learned and these new friends that we've met through technology and new ways, Brian, of doing business. So that's where our opportunity is to come out better than before, because we have had to learn a lot. We have had to be resilient. And a lot of us have increased our self-esteem as we went through a pandemic. I, I love that so much. 
so many people, when you try to be optimistic, say, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to change the world? And the reality is, we just have to be human. We just have to remember that there are people that are around us that we can do a better job. We can listen to them. We can help them with something that they're having problems with. And it, it's not us trying to change them. It's not us trying to assert ourselves or that we're, you know, da-da-da in their life, but it's, it's us being there for, for someone. It, it reminds me of that old notion of counterphobia. You're not, you're, you're, you're not running away from a problem. You're running towards it. And I think this is the kind of behavior that I love you know, hearing about, where we're, we're not trying to get away from talking about the tough things that are going on, but we're talking about how can we embrace the moment? How can we make it better? Things, are, things may be terrible for, for people. We can, we, 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 that doesn't have to be the way things are. Absolutely. And I think we are going to be trending in a, in a very positive direction as soon as we get a few more people immunized. The other thing that's been rolling around my head is this, this concept of herd immunity. And I think it's such a fascinating thing to think about, which is we're, we are designed to protect each other. We are literally designed to be in a herd and have our healthiest people get sick to, pre to prevent the more vulnerable ones from getting sick. So that's exactly what we're seeing right now is we're protecting our vulnerable and we're allowing part of our herd who's young and healthy to go out there and get it. And there's something deeply you know, satisfying about knowing that we are literally all in this together and we are all the herd and we do each have our role and no nine of us are going to save the planet but if each of us does our small role as part of the herd then the herd can move forward in a positive direction and i always like to think about gandhi and you know be the change you wish to see and I think this pandemic has really given us opportunity to do that if you love and value yourself through this you're gonna make it through a lot better. So take care of yourself, sleep, eat, exercise, try to laugh, connect with others, have a spiritual connection, find the meaning through this. Then once that oxygen mask is on you, then go to your neighbor, everyone's suffering. It's not hard to find somebody. And then that can grow and grow and grow. And if we all come out of this with that mindset, we will indeed have learned a lot. Well, that's those are wonderful sentiments. You know the uh, uh, the the idea that you know each person's uh, actions that the small steps that we take have uh, big repercussions are is certainly um, you know that's that's it's a truism and 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 don't we don't forget that we have our you know our our hearts emit these electromagnetic pulses is this electromagnetic energy that can be measured with Know, whether it's Kirlian photography or other, but, you know, we impact the people around us. And I think it's been so constructive to hear some of these approaches, these philosophies at grounding ourselves to be happy and to, uh, and to spread that uh, either explicitly or uh, tacitly through the interactions that we have with others. And the idea that, that uh, having optimism that's tempered by realism, that's guided by meaning is a, uh, a kind of a wonderful roadmap for, you know, charting a better future, which is, I think, what we've tried to accomplish with these 
gatherings with our salons and, and by talking with people like you and, and, and some of our other guests, it's been, uh, you know, really revitalizing and, and inspiring, frankly. And, and um, I want to thank you for the time. Uh, I also just would like to highlight again that, uh, um, that everybody listening should go check out uh, Dr. Eva's book, Be Kinder. We'll have the link to your website in, in the show notes. Um, but we, again, uh, want to, uh, I, I want to express what a pleasure it is to, um, to connect with you once again and, uh, and, and kick off, you know, a, uh, 2021 conversation around wellness, uh, with you, Dr. Eva Ritvo. And, and, th and thank the uh, the other members of, th of the salon, uh, Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi. So uh, wishing a great uh, year ahead. And just let's keep inciting those positive vibes, everybody. I think that's beautiful. I think we talked about mirror neurons in our previous uh, salon, correct? So just to remind everybody that you have neurons in your brain that fire when you see something. So the simplest way to be kind is flash somebody a smile. Because when you flash somebody a smile, you're triggering their smile mirror neurons. And right now there's a lot of people suffering and you can't smile behind a mask. So reach out on FaceTime, reach out on Zoom. It was so uplifting to see all these smiling, happy faces tonight. And we just have to, you know, continue going forward, being, you know, supportive and knowing that this too shall pass. This pandemic will not last our lifetime. Couldn't have said it better. And thanks again for uh, another another episode or another installment of our Reset Salon. Thanks, everybody. Hope to see you again soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. Stay well and stay kind. <laughs>